This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we kick off our year of Carpenter by starting where it all began, 1974's Dark Star. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. It's the invasion of the podcast. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Okay. Show me. I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. The Year of Carpenter. Why don't we just wait here for a little while, see what happens. And welcome to Evasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. I'm so happy that that intro doesn't have my voice in it. My name is Paul, and there's Steve out there somewhere. Hello, everyone. Uh, I, I'm sorry that my voice isn't in there either, but if you want to throw an erotic clone in there, feel free oh, to. Oh, I removed it off my board tonight. God damn it. There is no... Here, here <laughs> this is, I'll do something uh, erotic clown adjacent. I'd sure like to fist him. There we go. I still have that on the board. Now, um, yeah, we're getting into our, it's our year of, and we'll we'll get into more of this in a second. It's gonna, we're going to be uh, like going... Deep diving into John Carpenter. We'll get into to more of that in a moment. But welcome to the show, everybody. Um, you know, you know the drill. Um, we can't have an episode of Invasion of the Podcast without talking about like shit that we got into uh, between episodes. So, Steve, did you get into anything on your weekend during your week before we get into this uh, film, Dark Star and Proper? Uh, not, not too much. I spent the weekend, uh, still trying to unpack my, uh, office and toy collection. Uh, it's really, uh, to the point now where, uh, if I can't find something, I stops everything. I've got to learn to like, if I can't find something, just move on and keep going as opposed to like wasting four hours looking for the one thing that I was looking for. Um, so that's been frustrating. Although I did, I did, uh, and I don't know why this was such a revelation for me, but, uh, uh, as somebody who collects, uh, action figures, uh, I have, I don't know, 20 or 30, uh, black series, star Wars figures. And for those of you at home who don't know what that is, is that, uh, probably about 15 years ago now, uh, Hasbro decided to get in on the larger action figure market, meaning a, uh, six inch figure, um, as opposed to the three and three quarter scale. And, uh, I also collect NECA figures. One of my beefs with NECA is that NECA, their figures aren't always great at standing in the sense that like there's not a lot of posability a lot of time because they're they're designed to look really cool, but you can't really move them around and put them in a lot of different positions. I mean, you can with some, but like I have a Michael Myers where he's not really, you know, he's not going down on, uh, you know, his knees and reaching up and like he's he's basically going to just stand there and look cool. Um, that said, they're they have pegs on the uh, peg holes on the bottom of their figures. Uh, they release a set of stands, and this is where I'm going with this. That, and I don't understand how this works, but for some reason, the 
pegs that are in the stands are smaller than the peg holes. Oh no. So it's literally just like standing your figure on a circle that, you know, you're like, well now it's just on that, but it's going to fall over because there's nothing there keeping it. It's it's still wobbly. Yeah. There's no, yeah, that sucks. But I discovered this weekend and I don't know why it took me this long to figure it out because they're the same scale. Almost the NECA figures are a little larger, but the pegs actually work really well on the Star Wars Black Series figures. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, at least I have a use for these stands that I bought like three years ago that I can't do anything with. So that was my big discovery. And I know you guys are all thinking, wow, your your life is really boring. And I get it. it no, 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 no. Life um, well lived. It's, yeah. sh- 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 life well lived. Come on. <laughs> I'll always remember that episode of The Simpsons where uh, uh, they're, they're going to die and uh, – comic book guy right before his death this is uh um i've wasted my no, life. Isn't, that, isn't that from the simpsons movie right whenever like the domes like they're about to destroy the city oh is it from the movie yeah, i think it's okay. from the movie right because he grabs everything <laughs> he's like oh i've wasted like with all this collecting everything he's like life well lived <laughs> whatever he says yes you know but yeah. uh, the other thing that i i got into was is uh and i'll just mention this too because it's his birthday uh joe bob briggs birthday is today and uh I've talked about previously on the show that I, you know, have come to Joe Bob way late. I didn't even have Shutter. I think, during the first season. I subscribed, I think, for the second season. And uh, movies kind of come and go from what they have. So sometimes the lineup will change from, like, what available episodes there are to watch. But I, for whatever reason, I haven't delved too much into the first season and gone back and watched them. So uh, there was a movie on there by Ty West called House of the Devil, which I had not seen before. So it's like, all right, it's a Saturday night. I'm going to throw on some Joe Bob while I'm working in my office and watch House of the Devil. Um, have you have you seen either that movie or know much about Ty West? No, I know I know something about Ty West. Um, I've not seen House of the Devil. I that's one of my like you know sins because he he is a um, I don't like everything he's done. Let's just put it that way. Uh, the innkeepers is really great. It, it is when I talk about it being a slow bird, it is the slowest of burns and it has, it has a payoff, but you really got to wait for it. And you got to ask yourself like, was the journey worth it? And I like the innkeepers. Um, and I know he, um, tried to get his name removed from cabin fever too, because of like all the screwing things that were going on around behind the scenes. So I've seen that. And I know he's done some stuff for like, was it the ABCs of death? Um, like, I want to appreciate Ty West and I've heard the house of the devil is actually quite an interesting movie. So I'll say that. So continue, please. Yeah. And I, I will say that I have actually before this probably even less exposure to him than you did. I have not seen the innkeepers. I've not, I've never even seen the, the first to, uh, cabin fever. Well, so you don't need I have to. no, it's you're good. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I know, it's Eli I know Roth shaves and her legs come off. I know that part. But well, like, I don't, it, it, yeah, it's Eli Roth and there's some, I don't know. It's just, I don't know if that movie aged well or even aged at the time. Cause one of the button jokes on the end of that is like, you listen to some of the language being usually like that. Nope. We're good. We're good. We can't No, You do not say that. You do not say that. <laughs> you know? So, and the fact that Ty West was coming on for the sequel, which could have been fun. It's just, it's not a great movie, but he also like wanted to distance himself from it. So unfortunately his name is attached to it. I'll, I'll stop talking. I've not seen house of the devil. What did you think okay. about it? Well, yeah, I was just going to say, so this is my first Ty West movie. So I hadn't seen uh, anything else that he's done. I've heard a lot about House of the Devil. So I was like, oh, this is good. I'm, you know, getting to watch a little Joe Bob and it's a movie I've never seen before. Um, 
And he kind of talks about Joe Bob, that is, uh, you know, during the interstitials, the breaks, you know, about people complaining about the movie being such a slow burn because it is it's it's essentially how you describe the innkeepers. It's a very slow burn. And then you get a gigantic payoff at the end. But it's very much like, I don't know, a solid hour, maybe hour and 10 minutes of slow burn and then 10 minutes of like batshit crazy so, well that's better than uh, the innkeepers and all, like yeah oh, yeah like i said like his one of his segments of vhs is one of the better ones the first film but yeah continue like i've not seen house of the devil i've heard there is a good payoff i'm all about a slow burn i keep yeah. talking keep talking steve i'm sorry i apologize to everybody i'm just, I'm just, I'm just here. Shh, here i'll be quiet continue <laughs> well no i just was gonna say uh i, I liked it enough to that i do want to see some of his other films uh i I think that he's a really talented guy. Uh, I thought it was a really impressive movie. Um, there's some great performances in it. There's uh, there there is a moment in the middle of the slow burn that happens that you're like, what just happened? And then it goes back to being a slow burn. So it's not. I guess my my first statement about it being all slow burn is incorrect because there's a two minute sequence in the middle of the movie where you're like, what? Yeah. And then it goes back to being a slow burn. But. Uh, I, I would I would recommend it. I, I thought it was a good movie. It's not what, something that I'm going to like want to break out uh, and, you know, oh, it's, you know, <laughs> I don't know, Halloween. I'm going to watch House of the Devil. It feels much more like, like a movie that like uh, if I was doing like a like a I don't want to say a marathon of devil movies, but like, you know, it, it would probably be a cool uh, double feature with something like, um, uh, oh, God, I not Devil's Reign. Um, uh, Ride with the Devil. Um, something like that. I think that would be, you know, a cool double feature. Um, but yeah, I liked it and I'm kind of, kind of, I'm interested to see some of his other work. I do find it interesting though. There's okay. So I don't want to say like there's, you know, (laughs) the, the horror community and just online, uh, communities in general, whether it be comic books, horror movies, star Wars, whatever have their like naysayers and things like that. But like, I, I do feel like, Ty West is one of those directors who gets he gets either a lot of love or he gets like it's the worst person to ever make a horror movie or ever walk the face of the earth like it's it, it seems like there's no in between on him I like, so I think I like that probably, that critic that you said was Yosemite Sam I like that <laughs> was uh you know <laughs> gold darn it <laughs> I, I only have like four voices and they're all just variations <laughs> on each other uh, <laughs> no but I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing some of his other work and it's just it's I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to be polarizing within the horror community because at least people are talking about you. Um, I mean, sure, everybody wants to be you know loved, but I think I think the fact that his name comes up in conversations and people talk about him, whether they love him or hate him, is is interesting. And it's enough. I like this enough, and you know those conversations that I mentioned are enough to fuel me to go and, and seek out more of his work. So, well, so after, um, after house of the devil, he did cabin fever Two, which again, we talked about, he didn't think that production was a train wreck. And then he did uh, part of like one of the segments for VHS, the ABCs of death. And then the film, the sacrament, which I've not seen. But then after that, he kind of like just started doing a lot more TV work. And then he ended up making a Western called in the Valley of violence, which I need to watch. Um, but he's done, he's done episodes of, um, the exorcist TV series, which I know you liked a great deal. Um, and then it was wayward pines, which I know I got some, like some love at the time. And then he, there's that, um, there's that Amazon prime series called them that came out in the last year that I do need to watch. 
Um, and like, so he's been still working and then he has a new movie coming out soon called X, which if you see that trailer, it is messed up. So I'm excited. I, I want to see Ty West not beholden to people, meaning like, you know, obviously there's budget constraints and you got to like, you know, like this is what I'm going to do. I think he's an interesting voice. And I think that he, um, understands what came before, and like, I'm not saying he's trying to ape a certain style. I just think that he likes seventies horror. Right. And like mm-hmm. in the much more, we talk about slow burns. I think, um, I think that he appreciates that, like that, like character build as opposed to just like monsters and murder, you know, like, so yeah, I, I, I need to watch the house of the devil. Um, that, sorry, uh, that, yeah, the house of the devil. I've known about this movie forever. I just haven't sat down and watched it. Yeah, and it's on me. I feel like that's one of those like um like like of of all the sins that you have as a watcher, right? That's one that's been looming for a while. I'm glad that you got to it though. Yeah, uh it's interesting cuz I did not know he directed down the uh, Exorcist TV series which I was a really big fan of that show. So I guess I technically have been exposed to his work. Yeah, but, but he's how would you know that? Clearly like, working on an established yeah. property. Yeah. Yeah. Um but uh the other thing that you mentioned uh, was that TV show them, which is also on my to watch list. My wife was watching it and I, I was just like, you know, for whatever reason, I was like, this is really dark and I can't, I, I, I kind of step away. <laughs> like, Kathy watched all of it, but I'm like, this is, it, it was, I think right after we watched Lovecraft country too, which I loved Lovecraft country. That, that, country, that, but that, sounds, very, that sounds like a very much a one, two punch. This is going to leave you hurting. You know? Right. Like, <laughs> and I was like, I, I can't do this back to back. So I still have to check out them. Okay. So, so, all right. So that's what you got into. Anything else? Uh, no, I just wanted to, I mean, we're not doing news, but I just wanted to mention, uh, have you heard about little Caesars and what they're doing with the Batman? Oh, I saw something. They're making um a, a a Batman logo pizza. So yeah, how many of those have you bought already? <laughs> That's the question. I haven't bought one you're yet. Like, but it's, you're uh, like, oh shit, it's the I'm pizza signal, and you get in your car and you just drive out. And you're like, <laughs> you're like, like, you're like, everyone's like, there's crabs going on. It's like, yeah. But is there crazy bread? And you just go into the Little Caesars and get <laughs> What's interesting to me is, is it's not technically called a pizza. They're calling it a calzone. Um, and it's in the shape of a bat. Does it upset it looks you? Like it's is, like does it upset hybrid. you that it's called a calzone and not a pizza? Like, let me know your true feelings about this. Like, I'm what, sorry, what? D- does it upset you that it's called a calzone? Because isn't a calzone like a folded? It's like a folded pizza, right? Like, it's like, it's like, I yeah, don't except know. it's got ricotta in it, which you don't normally find in, uh, in your normal pizza. That's fair. So but yes. Does this does this Batman thing have ricotta in it? Uh that I don't know. Uh garlic cheese sauce, pepperoni, filled calzone crust. So maybe <laughs> I like that I want to believe that's the your mental checklist and not what you're reading. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't believe oh. so. So I guess to be fair, they're also calling it the calzone. So oh. it, it seems to be a weird like pizza hybrid, but it is in the shape of the bat signal. And I will report back to you, dear listeners, on how. Because so, I haven't had Little Caesars in a while. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this about the Joker. But to him, crazy bread is just bread. Just regular bread. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I want to believe I want to believe that uh that you're going to get a number of these and then instead of like batarangs you're just going to whip them at people 
and just be like, you know, <laughs> just to fight justice, you're gonna just whip these uh like you know calzones at people, and you know. <laughs> Yeah, I am going to have to go uh, a town over to get it, though, or I'll have to pick it up on my way home from work because uh, poor Clinton does not have a little Caesars for for good or for ill. No, that's terrible news. I don't like that it's nowhere near you, but I also be like, this this crust is stuffed full of justice (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's so stupid. I love it. That's amazing. (laughs) Like. Yeah. All right. So there we go. Like, cause it's, it's a lighthearted, just, just a romp of a meal deal that goes along with the Matt Reeves Batman, which I heard is just a lark. So, you know, like it all makes sense. I do like, uh, the first, uh, comment and normally comments are, are usually, uh, awful on stories like this, but this one did make me laugh. It's, uh, while I doubt Batman wants to patrol the streets with a stomach full of hot shits, I support this endeavor. <laughs> I also kind of want to believe that, like, that's his side gig now. That, like, he's just delivering, like, just shitty pizza to people. Because, cause, you know, like, you never know when crimes are going to happen, you know? So, whatever. That makes, like, could this be Chris O'Donnell from uh, Batman and Robin where he steals the Batmobile and goes to go to the Neon Yang? He's like, everybody checking out. I got pizzas. And then like, was it, was it Don the Dragon Wilson? Was he one of the gang members? He was one of the neon gang members, right? Who? Like Don the Dragon Wilson. I think he was in there. Um, Ooh, he probably is, but yeah. I got to be honest. I I bought, because I was anticipating us talking about Batman forever a while ago, and uh, I bought it for a rewatch. And <laughs> why, haven't gotten why, to it, why were you so. anticipating that we talk about it? Is, like, is this because you, you think me less of a Batman person? No, why? because I feel like when Schumacher died, I talked about the fact that like there are things in three that I like Batman Forever. The uh, fourth one is utter trash. No, but, but if we want to, uh, no, I like that. Ba- I think Batman Forever is a lot of fun. I have not seen him forever, so yes, thank you for um, assuming that I like I like gutter pizza and and gutter Batman movies. So we'll um, yeah, if we want to get into Batman Batman uh, Forever, we'll get into that. That'd be fine. I think it'd be a lot. Well, of we'll have to do something in March for for Batman just because. So we'll we'll think about it. All right, Although there, we go. there will be two Batman movies with. Let's be honest here. Nobody's calling it the Flash movie. They're they're calling it the Return of Michael Keaton Batman movie. So <laughs> there you go. That's fair. So all right. So you had uh, bat like you know, there's Batman pizza coming, uh, and then you watched House of the Devil. I like those two. I don't know how they go together. They go together. I appreciate that. Um, I will just say that my weekend was very low key. However, since we're recording this on a Thursday. Um, I, uh, last night on a Wednesday, I was able to make it, uh, to Cleveland to an, uh, an AEW show, uh, all elite wrestling. They, uh, came back to Cleveland for the first time in forever. They had a show. It was actually three shows in one. So there's your value there. So let me read off real quick. So let's give you the numbers. Um, so they did, th- um, they have a YouTube show, like, so it's not broadcast called, uh, uh, AEW dark elevation. So they do like, there's some de- developmental matches they do. So they're dark matches. Um, that was an hour before airtime for their regular show that they do during the week. There were seven matches in that one hour. It was just go, 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 go. It was a lot of fun. And then they, they recorded, uh, um, they went live with, uh, AEW dynamite, which is the show they do on Wednesday nights. It's a two hour show. Um, there were five matches on there, but one of them was this ridiculous ladder match, Steve, that I cannot, I know that you're like, not maybe like in the current like purview of wrestling, 
if there's a way I could show you this 30 minute ladder match, it is one of the most insane things I've ever seen in my life. It just, it looks like people died. It is crazy. Uh, and then after that, they ended up uh, pre-taping. Uh, they do a show called um, Rampage that goes out on Friday nights for one hour on, um, was it TBS or TNT? I can't remember. It's one of the two, uh, two uh, whatever. Like, T, uh, you know, uh, um, TNT has one show, TBS has the other show. So it was an additional hour of matches. It was four matches there that are going to be broadcast tomorrow. We're recording on a Thursday, but it's going to be like broadcast on a Friday night. So over the course of four hours, I saw three shows and 12 matches, and it was so much goddamn fun. I, this is my first professional wrestling show I went to. I just can't tell you. Like every, It was so much fun. It was It was great. Uh, and just the, the audience reactions were great and seeing like, um, Oh, uh, just to give you some names, Steve, that, you know, um, like, uh, uh, the big show, Mark Henry were commentary for the dark matches. Uh, Arn Anderson showed up a couple times. Jake, the snake Roberts came out for a little bit. It's like, you see these people are like, my God, like this is who I grew up with. And then to see like the current, like crop of stars, like it was such a fun time. Yeah, it sounds like it's fun. Uh, I w- desperately do want to go see, uh, and I guess AEW might even be like you can tell me might even be loftier than what I'm thinking of. Like, I kind of want to go and see like real indie wrestling. No, no, like they're, they're, I don't the, know if the AEW Cleveland, is you know yeah the Cleveland promotion or, is AIW absolutely intense wrestling or absolutely intense wrestling. So I'd like to get you to an indie show. Okay. Um, uh, but like some of the talent that we've seen in these indie shows, like I've seen over the course of the years, were in this AEW show. So it's like it's almost like I saw you in a high, like in a Catholic high school gymnasium, and now you're on national television, right? There's just so much fun there, and the matches were great. And like, and since it was in Cleveland and the AEW show, like this, they they um, they do pay per views every so often, but they don't do them with this like the degree that the WWE does. So oh, yeah. they'll do like these, like when they do some of the telecasts, they'll make them like specials. Like they did one a couple weeks ago called winter's coming. This one was called beach break and it was set in Cleveland. And so they ended up shooting some promos on like Lake Erie, like in Cleveland and people like full fur jackets being out on the beach, like this, like shit talking everybody else. I thought it was so much fun. Uh, but like they had everything, the, the stage was set with like surfboards and everything. It's Cleveland. It's like, you can tell they understand a joke, you know? And it's like, mm. there's, but my gosh, there was, um, I got, I got to send you some footage of some of the, like, cause they'll, they'll release clips online, but that ladder match is like, I uh, just, just seeing somebody jump from one ladder to another. And these are both like, you know, 15, 20 feet in the air and basically doing like, um, a diamond cutter or an RKO, like from that height and dropping somebody on the mat. Like these guys are professionals. They know how to take bumps, but you swear to Christ, somebody died, <laughs> you know, like while <laughs> watching it live. And it's like, and like people, people might poo poo like a wrestling and I, you know, I get it. It's not your cup of tea, but like, like I can't like as much as you and I talk about like superhero movies and comics and things that we love. And I know this is me like, you know, rehashing everything. This is live action superheroes to me, right? Like it is like these people are doing phenomenal things that nobody has a right doing. And they're all in on it. They're telling cool stories. Like, and it's like, where else are you going to go to see that? It's just, it is ridiculous. The things that we saw. And it was, it was such a fun show. Like I, I can't wait to go back to another AEW show, but yes, just 
I just, I, for, for being like four hours, like there was not like, there was, there was no fat, right? Like it was like, boom, 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 boom. The only complaint I have is that to the right of me, there was a couple and one of them had to get up like every 30 minutes. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I had to go. Oh, I promised to be last time. It wasn't the last time. Like, you know, just like, what are you doing? Are you going out and like, you know, like, I don't know, making business calls or some shit while you're like, it's just watch the wrestling show. But anyway. That's it. I'm going to guess that they're Batman shaped calzone. Because <laughs> I agree with them. You'd be right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, it was like there, there was uh there was some shit talking of Cleveland. Uh, it was just, uh, there was the one, the one women's wrestler. She's the champion. Her name's Britt Baker. And she came out and showed all the awards that she won last year for like best wrestler of the year, which is all true. And she's like, and she's from Pittsburgh. So she came out in this regalia that was like every Pittsburgh team. Um, and instant heat people were booing her, but she also used to work the indie circuit here. So I've seen her in a gymnasium, you know? So it's like, so she, you know, you know, she is appreciative, right? But she comes out and she's like, I can at least tell you Cleveland, here's one baker you can count on. And everybody just lost their minds. Like <laughs> It was, she knew, she knew how to piss everybody off, but that's the point. It was so much fun. It is interesting to think about, and, and I, I know going off on a tangent here, but uh, we, we'll talk about Dark Star, I promise. Uh, yeah, maybe. How, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. How, how um, I don't want to say big the Pittsburgh-Cleveland you know, uh, rivalry is, but when I met Dave Filoni, and yes, I'm throwing around uh, big Star Wars names Look right now, you. but when I... <laughs> <laughs> when I met him, uh, he's a Pittsburgh guy and he's a Pittsburgh fan. So, and even though I don't even watch football anymore, uh, it was one of the, I was like, Hey, you know, I'm like, uh, I'm from Cleveland. Uh, how are your, how are your, uh, how, <laughs> how, how are your Steelers doing? And he, you know, he started talking about that and like, it was nice to have something to talk about that wasn't immediately star Wars. And then he asked me what star Wars character I wanted him to draw. And then he did it and I left, but <laughs> Like, it was you're, just like, you're I like, got an icebreaker. I can mention this. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, no, like she, um, like evidently when she was working in AIW, she would go between whatever Pittsburgh, um, you know, group there was and Cleveland. And she would actually put her time in and she would drive like hours to like, she's put her work in like, like Britt Baker's amazing. And one of her, one of her, uh, gimmicks before she got signed was she had shirts said Britsburg, they were black mm. and gold and it's like, and whatever. It's like, we, like we love her. She's a great heel. She's amazing. But she comes out and starts what? shit talking in the town. And it's like, she knows what she needs to do to make us mad. And it's amazing. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of what I was trying to, to go with there is, it's just that, you know, like it's a, yes, there are people who probably take it way too seriously, but it's also kind of a fun rivalry. And there's, there's not too many of those that you get, to have, I guess, you know, when you meet somebody from the other side of the world called Pittsburgh, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, like what if one of the other heel tag teams were like, meanwhile, I'm like, I love George Romero. <laughs> I love Monoville. <laughs> no, but like one of the tag teams, there was a match that was going on. They're like, Cleveland, we can promise you that you'll see something here tonight. You've not seen in years, a championship. And it was like, oh. God damn it. Like there was and and uh, CM Punk. Uh, was like um, feuding with this guy named MGF. If you, again, 
if you look, his, his name's Maxwell Jacob Friedman. The guy is like one of the the best heels working right now, and they just shit talk each other. And then CM Punk's like, we we need to have a fight right now. We're gonna have a, like we need to settle this. And MJF's like, you think you think we're gonna do this match now in Cleveland? <laughs> like it was like he went on went on over and over again. He was like in Cleveland. He's like they don't deserve this. <laughs> that became a thing where they're teasing they're gonna do the match next week in Chicago, which is where CM Punk's from, and it's a much bigger market. But yeah, there was a lot of shit talking. Uh, like CM Punk defending Cleveland, like, you know, like about like, you know, you get knocked down. It's not about how, it's not about how you get knocked back, back down. It's about how you get up. And like, so of course we're all like, you said our names, we love you, you know, type of thing. <laughs> but it was such a fun so, show. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my question to you. And it's actually non wrestling related, but, uh, I am of an age now where, uh, if I find out something's happening on a weeknight, it's serious that like even if it's something that i really want to do i'm like ah it's a wednesday that's fair like no middle of the week so i'm no i'm curious are are, is that still a thing like or is it you know if if it's are there specific things that you're like no matter what it is i'll see it any night of the week well an aw show it could have been on the moon if i was told i had tickets okay but but because i knew about it coming like two months in advance I was able to plan for it ahead. So I already knew it was coming, you know? So I'm like, let's just do it. Um, if it was like, if it was you telling me like tonight, like, Hey, you know, so is this playing somewhere? I'll be like, I don't know. I already have my pajamas on. I mean, that's, that's completely understandable, yeah. but like Kathy will every once in a while throw something out to me and she'll be like, so-and-so is going to be here. We're going to, you know, we can do this. And I'm like, all right, what day is that? And she'll be like, Oh, it's a Tuesday. And I'm like, Tuesday. I can't be going to no concert on a Tuesday. I think I think that she has the understanding that I do where it's like if you just commit and go, you'll have a good time and then like damn the torpedoes the next day. But I understand there's that apprehension of like, oh, I don't know. But but Steve, let me put this to you. And let's say that there was a show on a Tuesday, like how late do you stay up and then what time do you go to bed anyway? It's probably gonna shake out, right? Like that's kind of where I was at with a lot of this. Yeah, I think also I just have to mentally prepare myself to be around that many people. That's so uh, <laughs> I think that also plays a, a part of it. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. It, I have like said no to certain things just because I'm like, oh, it's 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 in the middle of the week. I mean, now mind you, we record in the middle of the week, so that not counting. Like there are things where I'm just like. Yeah, I'd like to go to that. It sounds like fun, but if it were on a Saturday, I'm in. But since it's Tuesday, I'm out. I mean, I, I will agree with you that there's certain things I'm like, I don't know about that. But if I plan enough in advance, I'm going to go because I just realized that, um, you know, the that it's it's worth, you know, it's worth like the struggle the next day still. Yeah. Like, you know, because like I, especially since we've all been robbed of um like live experiences the last couple of years because of shit going on and i'm not like like again i did go and i had my mask on for the majority but it was like i was having a beer and you could take your mask off whatever it's like i mean that does like i like that COVID's like shh, shh, he's having a beer like you just don't go near him you know <laughs> like i want to like uh, it's a it's a miller white we don't want to even be involved in that either you know whatever so like, hey you, you know what i, I mean you, you know what I mean? it's one of those things where it's like who know? Like even even taking all the precautions, there's no guarantee, right? Like, but I also feel like we've been robbing ourselves of like these experiences to the point of where apprehension is natural, and I agree. And also, like, it's just tough to like change our our routines. 
and to like be like, I need to go interact again because the world hasn't proven that it's capable of like safely interacting again. So I understand your apprehension regardless of the day of the week, you know, like, like I, did I gamble last night going to the show? Absolutely. You know, but I mean, I'm, I'm double vaccinated. I'm boosted. Um, like, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be okay. Like not probably like this isn't me like, all right, everybody last episode, the, the, the podcast, everybody I'm out, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, just, I understood the risk I was taking and I've taken every precaution to minimize the impact. So yes, I understand your point of like, yeah, do I need to be amongst all those people? And also there's that social component of like, can I handle this? Like while I was waiting in line, there's these people in front of me that were just like talking about wrestling. And I'm like, I understand I'm wearing a wrestling shirt, but we're different. Like we're on different planes of existence in terms of, um, our conversations. That's not judging. It's just levels of engagement. Is that what you're talking about? Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, it was more so that than it was the COVID thing. Like I wasn't even really thinking about that in in that aspect. It's more of, you know, being around, particularly if it's concert, like one, I'm like, okay, who's going to be the, dick who's going to start a fight you know or it's me you know know, or (laughs) is you know the band going to wait two hours to come out and start late or whatever like those are the types of things that i take into to account um but yeah sometimes it's just it's work just to be around people like if i'm going to a comic book convention that's a whole different thing like i'm not even talking about either you know selling my wares or just on my own like I can somehow manage, but there are certainly have been plenty of moments where I've, you know, thought about like, oh, oh, I really wish I could just strangle this person right now. But that said, like, if you take that out of the equation and I'm like, if I have to travel for it, that even pushes it like even further off. Or I'm like, <laughs> I got to drive a half hour. Ugh. I got to drive a half hour and yeah. uh, podcast with Paul. Just out. Done. We're done. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Christ, now that I think about it, we have not re- recorded together an entire episode in two years, right? At this yeah, point? I, just, I don't even know your face anymore. I'm kidding. We had no, we see each other in the meantime. <laughs> uh, we're going to see each other soon. But yeah, it, you know, yeah it's just, you're you right. Know, like, I, yeah. I, honestly, like, because uh, I will be staying at your house for that weekend. Uh, well, not the whole weekend, but Saturday and, you know, Sunday until you kick me out. Uh, but I, I won't leave until I get an omelet. So there's, well, that. that's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe we should record just something together. Like something <laughs> like 15 minutes. Just it's going like, to be, hey, me. It's gonna be me something in person, drinking bloody Mary's and just watching you. omelet. like, tell me, like, tell me everything. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, anyway, <laughs> no, we did. Yeah, we need to, it'd be fun. Maybe we'll do, well, maybe we'll do a, um, a super bro aftermath and we'll talk about some of the stuff that we, that made you watch. Maybe we'll talk about New York Ninja for a minute. I think that'd be fun. We'll talk about that. All right. Um, all right. Well, it's been, you know, we've, we promised, we promised dark star, um, you know, seven hours ago. Maybe we should get into the year, year of Carpenter. Um, let me, well, I'll play the trailer for Dark Star, um, and then we'll get into kind of where we're going with this year, and then we'll get into the movie. Uh, Tuck and everybody, this is going to be the longest two and a half minutes of your life. Just a heads up. It is the future. Mankind has conquered the stars. 
he moves out to the endless interstellar reaches of the universe. An advanced exploration call. A new breed of pioneer must seek out unstable planets and destroy them. Drive sequence begun. Hit it, pin back. of the 21st century planet smashers. Dark Star. 20 years in space, one million light years from Earth. Their job is to clear a path for the colonization of space. Back home, back home in Malibu. I used to surf a lot, Talby. I used to be a great surfer. Travel in an infinite universe with mind-melting excitement from beyond the stars. Computer to bomb number 20. Halfway there. Return to the bomb bay immediately. But I have received the operational signal. I wish I had more time. Why don't you have more time? Because I must detonate. I must detonate. Commander Powell. Commander Powell, this is Doolittle. Can you hear me? Man, what happened? Dark Star. They're not lost in space. They're loose. All right, good day, everybody. That's been the longest trailer I've ever played for this this episode. Like, ever. All right. Series. Yes. <laughs> so, I'm just going to ask this, and I'll, I'll preface it with this. Uh, I, I liked the film. Uh, with that in mind and knowing that a good portion of it was a college film, my question to you, Paul, as we're starting this is, is how much weed do you think we smoked during, uh, the production of the oh, film? Oh, Christ, all of it. Like it had to, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, like, and it's not even the strong stuff like anymore, right? It was probably all like the, like, you know, the, the weak ass shit you could find then. So, yeah. So, uh, it is a uh, dark star. Um, it, is the first film directed and uh, you know co-written by uh, John Carpenter. Before we get into that, though, the, the, I need to set the stage here. <clears throat> this is our year of Carpenter. Um, I, I, I pitched it to Steve, and, and he was all down for this. We both love John Carpenter as a filmmaker. Um, we could we could um, talk about like which of his films were like the most foundational to us, but they were. I know with Steve, it's Halloween. Um, and then for me, like, and Steve, tell me if I'm wrong, it is the original Halloween. And for me, it is more the thing, but I know you like the thing as well. And I like Halloween as well. Um, but here's the great admission. Um, we've not seen much like the, the majority of his filmography, right? Like how is this person who has shaped us as individuals that we've not gotten to like the bulk of their work? 
that seems kind of hypocritical, right? Like we love them, but kinda, cause we don't know anything. Yeah, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. That's something that I've actually been wanting to do for quite some time. Uh, and I, I talked about it previously with your partner on uh, strange highways, Terry, you know, he was doing that uh, uh, as well. And I'm like, ah, you know, I, there are people that I, whose work I really enjoy and I haven't seen, you know, all of their work. Why haven't I dipped my toes into other things? Now, sure, there are things, you know, uh, Dark Star itself is sort of a double whammy for me just simply because uh, not only is it Carpenter, but it's also uh, Dan O'Bannon. And Return of the Living Dead is one of my, like, all-time favorite zombie movies. Like, I... I <laughs> It, it's up there, you know, fighting for top spots with, you know, Dawn and, and Day of the Dead and actually Night. So uh, I I have a real reverence for that film. And obviously I'm I'm skipping the big fish with O'Bannon, which is Alien. But for me, I was like, I didn't know these two knew each other. I didn't know that he had actually acted in the movie, not Carpenter, but O'Bannon. Uh, um, the fact that they were in class together, like – that stuff is just like it's I don't know I, I, I'm gonna apologize for this analogy here but when I was a kid for some reason I was I was not I was of the mind that uh, Paul McCartney was not in the Beatles and well, I carried that dead. notion around he was dead that's why because Paul was dead <laughs> no <laughs> I I had carried around this notion uh, and I'm probably like five or six and like my best friend at the time and I got in an argument and we had to go to his mom to like settle it. But I would have bet anything at that time that, you know, Paul McCartney wasn't in the Beatles. So when I found out that he was, it was like my mind was blown for some reason. And I, again, I don't know why it, I, I wouldn't have known that or had that opinion, but it was still this thing where I'm like, he's in the Beatles. It was this kind of thing where I'm like, Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter made a film together. Like it's their, both of their very first films, but I'm like, that's just crazy to me. It's a, uh, I don't know. I, I was not expecting to find that, uh, when digging into this movie, we'll put it that way. So, um, I don't want to make this because this is about Carpenter. I don't want to make it all about Dan O'Bannon, no, but, but I just, I, that's the important. fact that yeah. it's, it's a collaboration fun. between these two guys. And I'm like, mind blown. Yeah, no, like I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head of what I wanted to get into the discussion of this film in particular because of how much kind of like splintered not splintered like came out of this. Like that's yeah. where that's where my mind was blown because um yeah, this is very much a student film that was expanded out to like feature length and you know, your mileage may vary. It's it's a crew of like Four guys, um, there was a fifth one, but he, you know, wasn't on screen because he died before the, the movie started, where they're just sent out on the spaceship called the Dark Star, and their mission is to go out and to destroy unstable planets that would interfere with human colonization. That's the whole thing. Um, and it is, um, it's sometimes satirical, sometimes not. Like, it's a weird animal because of it being a student film that got fluffed out. Um, and it's very much, you can see it is a first film for a lot of people like being involved in this and, uh, for when it being, for it being released in, um, like 74, um, it kind of has this rare air of it's a comedy in some ways, but not, but it, like, it's a low budget in, indie film that it's kind of speaking to where sci-fi was at that time. Like it's an odd, it's an odd beast, right? But what I am surprised by, like you were saying, is 
kind of where like, like, Oh shit. This was like, this was like the garage band album of people that would go on to be like mega stars. Right. And you mentioned Dan O'Bannon. And I think he's just as important to this conversation as John Carpenter, which we both love. And we both love Dan O'Bannon and, and you explained why it's just, and also like, you know, Nick Castle was associated with this as well. He would go on to do, you know, like many things as like, we've, we're not gonna talk about Halloween until we get there in a couple, a couple months, but like, you know, my God, we talked about the last Starfighter on this, um, you know, on this podcast, like there's so much splintering out. I keep using the word splinter as in like the whole movie world's fractured, but like this film was like the, the jumping off point for a lot of what we love and appreciate. And I had no idea that this was kind of like the nexus point for a lot of things that we love. And that's a great thing. Um, this film's perfectly okay. I have problems with it, but again, it was a student film being fluffed out to feature length. It's going to have problems, but just like you, the more I start digging into who did what, there's so many things here. It's like, we wouldn't have alien without dark star. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any goddamn sense. Yeah. I mean, okay. So there's, there's like 10 different points that I Sorry, want to make here. So I'm yeah, going to try continue. and yes. not do that thing where I, I'm going to focus on one. So, uh, and I'm, I'm using my hands to emphasize and I keep forgetting that this is audio, not video. Just, uh, just smack your microphone a little bit. So <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you talked about the fact that, you know, <laughs> O'Bannon gives us alien carpenter gives us Halloween. Like it's, it's crazy to think in those terms, but like thinking of this as a collaboration between two students is uh, one, I can't help but wonder what made them choose, you know, it's a student film choose to go sci-fi, you know, um, just because of, you know, conventional wisdom is, you you know, you pick something. And I guess technically they are in one location, but you also have to have special effects. You have to have, uh, you know, uh, audio. Uh, well, you can uh, audio is not what I mean. Um, these not the special effects, but the production like design? computer screens, yeah. the yeah, the text, all that stuff. You have to have all this stuff baked into it. You know, whereas if you're just doing, you know, a comedy about two guys working in a convenience store you can just shoot the entire thing in there like it kind of goes against that conventional wisdom and it's a thing that and again i'm going to say this people i am also a bad george lucas fan uh because i've never seen thx you know 1138 and that started as a student film but that was also science fiction and it's just interesting to me that like you give these guys who and there's a point here i promise you you get these these guys who will go off and make these very important okay maybe important is not the best word but very popular and very uh you know not only just movies but franchises you know um all three of them and i'm i'm sorry that i'm including lucas and the bunch but like you know would go off and make these things that are all within the genres that they love and do them big budgets and and you know build things that are now around for 40 plus years. Um, it's, it's, I'm curious to know what the decision was to do something that's set in space when you don't have, you know, the, the resources. And, you know, I know that people, a modern audience will probably look at special effects and go and laugh at them because they're, look, they're maybe a step above the sixties television, Star Trek, uh, effects. 
Uh, and I, that's not me bagging on either of them. They're products of their time, but also this in particular is done for a very low budget. I, I can't help but think like, you know, if, if I was in and again, I, I, I do comics and I should have it in my head that I can do anything that I want because I don't have to worry about a budget, which is, which is true. But I also sometimes will like write things small because I've got that in my head somehow that I have to do something smaller than doing something big and crazy, which this is, you know, it's existential in some ways. It's a comedy in some ways. It's uh, not quite an action film, but there's a giant action action sequence in the middle of it. Like it's it's an ambitious project for somebody setting out to make a student film is, I guess, where I'm going. And I, I would also love to know what the decisions were were or the conversations were about like making certain decisions when it comes to either dressing the set um or how the guys are going to dress like at one point we see you know the shoes of i think it's pinback and he's wearing converse and i'm like is it because they can't afford it or are they making a statement with the character that he'd be wearing you know high tops uh yeah there's I, I know I'm going long. I apologize. Uh, the point that I'm making is, going is that long. going long, Steve, we're only 50 minutes in people. You, please. No, I, <laughs> I know I, I, I have this thing where I feel like if I'm talking too much on the show that I need to stop because I'm, I'm being overbearing. So I'm trying not to do that. Cause I, every thought that comes into my head, sometimes I have trouble organizing them, which is why podcasting's not probably the best idea. That's why I like to write. Uh, well, if you figure that's that, if that's the your question. realization by now, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't, yeah. I appreciate you as a co-host. I don't want to tell you we've been doing here's, this for quite a here's while. Here's what I'll say. Uh, in, in the words of Ed Wood, you know, uh, it's the worst thing you've ever seen or heard. Uh, my next one will be better. So if, yeah. if this is the worst podcast you've ever listened to, the next one's better. I promise. Um, <laughs> that said, it's just, it's such a big idea to do something like this as your student film. And I, I guess, you know, you're young, you're, you don't know what you don't know, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, you've done, you know, projects, um, both in your college days. And I think after you moved to Cleveland, correct? Like you've been involved with some things on that either student level or as, you know, the, the amateur filmmakers getting together and make something, um, I, I'm curious, like somebody gives you dark stars, like make a student film out of it. What is your thought? Like, oh, cause that's, that's yeah. the thing that I keep coming back to is, is that this is just such a big idea. No, it is a big idea. And I, and like, and, and, and thank you for implying that, like I could swing with like this because our, our budgets were like, I, yeah, I, I've been part of two, two short films of, of varying degrees and like in terms of like quality and success and like, I mean, again, by success, I mean, we got them done and people saw them. I'm not saying like, you know, hooray, you know, like we like whatever. It's just you, people, this was, um, the, the two that I was working with were years and years ago. Uh, a lot of it was before where, um, we are now with like the prosumer, like, you know, media, right. Where people can use an iPhone and shoot a film. We, we were like, you can't do that. We were using actual, like, you know, like film cameras and whatever else. It was like, it, like it was that that break point, right? So it's a little different, but like like it's I guess it's closer to what these guys did than what can happen now. Um, let me also say that I have not seen THX eleven thirty eight, so that's on me. But can I just point out that it came out in seventy one? 
um, Lucas was, uh, he went to USC, uh, University of Southern California, uh, Carpenter and Abandon went also to USC. So they knew about that. They had to have known about like that output, right? So and there's even a bit of trivia where at the very end of Dark Star, one of the pieces of, the, of debris that fly by is like labeled a THS 1138 something something toilet or something. Like it's a joke about it being like it's a part of wreckage that's labeled THX in this movie. So I didn't see it. Sorry, I didn't notice it in the movie, but that's a fun little nod. Um, in terms of like if you're going to swing for the fences and do this movie. Um, yeah. I mean, I can see like, if you watch this, if you, aside from there is these, um, and spoilers, if you guys have not watched the movie, go check it out. It's, it's worthy of your time. I just, I will ask you to not watch it on Pluto TV, which is when I watched it on because the, um, how it broke up the film to show me 8,000, um, like Disney ESPN ads, was frustrating to the point, Steve, let me tell you that it was three minutes from finishing the movie. I got an ad break. That's garbage. Like <laughs> it was like, one of those things where I'm like, we're almost done. I got to watch three minutes of ads to get to the three minutes at the end of the movie. Like go watch it elsewhere. Uh, Pluto so, yeah. Continue. I'm just going to interrupt you here real quick. And I, I, yeah, please. I know that you have access to somebody's voodoo account and, I think someone mentioned that he bought Dark Star last year with the oh, intent I'm to watch. Oh, I'm sorry. If yeah. you mean by somebody, I mean you, and if you mean your video account, I did not watch it there. So no, yeah, you, I forgot. You could have, you could have uh, not had to watch the the ads. Is is what I was saying. Son of a bitch. Anyway, <laughs> so if it was like I I don't mind watching ads for like free content, like, but. <laughs> If you're going to break do an ad break three bits for the movie, someone someone's not paying attention, you know. But anyway, neither here nor there. Um, like, I think sci-fi, especially, you could get away with like like um, doing certain locations and like like the way that some of the miniatures. Because also, if you're doing a student film, I think um, that you want to show that you can operate like above your pay grade. Right. I think that's the kind of the goal where, um, like, why do I feel like I'm saying the same thing when we're talking about, um, the Velocipaster where that, where that thing, no, like, follow me, please. Where that thing failed. This was like, we only have certain number of dollars. Let's show that what we're capable of and make people be like, huh, this thing has, it has some, has some rough spots, but we're punching above our weight and our budget where something like the Velocipaster, and I did not mean to bring that in, but in terms of like, oh, we're comfortably at home and hopefully people will be along for the ride because they'll get, it's a shitty, cheap movie. Like, does that, like, I think in terms of how I'd approach this, with the way, did you notice the whole elevator sequence? Every time time I'm watching this, I'm like, this is shot in a hallway and they're doing their best to, to make it look like it's a vertical shaft as opposed to a horizontal like space. I thought that was a lot of fun. That's so, that's so low budget, but like, I appreciate the effort to try to sell the illusion that this is a vertical, not horizontal. Well, I, I know I spent my entire life trying to convince people that my vertical shaft is bigger than it is. Yeah. As we all do. I get it. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. I thought I'd get a laugh out of that. I hope you at home appreciated my blue sense of humor. Um, <laughs> look, I, I... <laughs> here, here, here. What about, what about this? Wait, wait, wait. 
wasn't especially large, but it felt hard, extremely hard. Vertically. <laughs> every once in a while, I think I got something great in my head, and then it comes out, and no, then it's there's funny. that dead I just, silence. No, I, no, uh, no, no, no. I, I just it's okay. No, no, no Steve. Crickets. Steve, you made me laugh more than a lot of people I know. Give your please. Okay. Yes. No, it's it's fine. Uh, but uh, you know, please keep that making that you're talking about yes. though. Yes. Oh, okay, so that sequence, but there's also even one of the things that I noticed. One of the very first shots that we get of the crew is a camera pullback between three people sitting in a very confined space. And I'm like, okay, this is clearly somebody. And I, I don't mean to put down whoever made the, the laser pastor. I, I please do not take it that way. But like Carpenter just gave me a really cool shot of yes. three guys sitting in a cockpit, pulling back. He's doing something inventive with like no money and, and no space. Uh, and no it, space. Like you, thank you for bringing that yeah. up. Like I was watching this and you see the three of them like sitting side by side by side, but like, it's like, how do I describe it? Like one's facing North, one's facing South and one is facing North. Like it's there. It's a very confined space. Right. And it's very yeah. much like, and how the camera moves in and out of that for being like, I just, who has no idea. I have no idea how big that setup is, but they were able to get camera movements in there. That's like, that is, um, that's very sophisticated for what it is. So yes, what you're saying is they thought this out and there's some good shit in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, oh, I don't want to sit here and be like, Oh, the cinematography is wonderful. And like, it's, it's clearly a student film. It's made for on the cheap, but like there's so much going on in it visually that you can already tell that Carpenter is a step above other people. And I would also say, if you look at Daniel Bannon as a performer in this, he does a lot to sell that whole hallway shaft slash elevator shaft scene. Like he, he really look, I'm not saying that he's, it's an Oscar worthy performance, but he's really working to sell it. Um, and I think that a lot of his personality comes out in this film, both in, in the character that he's playing, but also, uh, in the, the, the script of it, the script is just okay. I shouldn't say the script because I haven't read the script. The story of the film is just so out of, I don't even want to say like it's out of left field, but it's it goes in places I did not expect it to end the way it does. We'll put it that way. <laughs> and I don't think we were leading up to something like that, but also the fact that it's it's just it's very eccentric in a lot of ways, I guess, for a very small, low budget movie. I I don't know. I I think the fact that I this is something I could easily be, you know, a lot harder on it with a lesser director and writer, but yeah, for its faults, there's a lot in here that I'm like, wow, they're doing this for no money and creating these interesting shots. Uh and they're only student filmmakers and I've I've seen people who are quote unquote filmmakers not do it as well. <laughs> That's fair. So no, I think what you're saying is correct. I just um, the the vignette feeling of this film is very apparent where it's like we got it like there's the bit where uh, it was Doolittle like one of our main characters goes and does the whole like I'm going to play this weird bottle machine thing to make music whatever it's like I fine and then like the whole um, alien sub story that is in this is very much more like its own thing fine I like I'm okay with that um, so you can tell that they're trying to like you know like bring more into this uh, but like, 
but you're right. The ending, the ending is um, like, it's very, um, it reminds me more of like Dr. Strange love. Like, where it's like, Oh, sh- like shit's messed up, but there's weird things going on, which I can appreciate. So they're like calling this a comedy is accurate. However, I'm going to put this to you. Let's look at what was going on at the time. So, um, uh, 2001 a space odyssey came out in 68, which I know that like one of the taglines for this film was a spaced odyssey. Cause that's like, you know, lowest common denominator. Yep. Sorry. You're going to say something. No, on the same poster, it also says the mission of the strange love generation. Yeah. It's just calm down. So let me, can I, let me, uh, let me get into this. Uh, the top grossing movies of 74, right? Not that this is not that, but I know it was $60,000 budget and they, they got it released. Like this will kind of give like the hope this gives you a snapshot of the vibe that was going on at the time. Let me run through. Um, let me run through the top 10, right? Okay. Blaz- Blazing saddles, towering inferno. Okay, I think that did better than dark star. That's a higher. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> All of these are, I can run through the top 31 here. And you will. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All of them did better than dark star, uh, blazing saddles, towering inferno trial, of Billy Jack, Young Frankenstein, sorry, Frankenstein, uh, Earthquake, Godfather Part 2, Airport 75, uh, The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, Longest Yard, Murder on the Orient Express. Um, in terms of like science fiction, um, there's not a lot here. Like, you I mean, young, young Frankenstein, but that's more like parody of horror, right? So, um, like, I, I just, I don't know if the market was there like for a lot of this. So, and, but also like the seventies was getting weird and I feel like this is there too. And there's this weird, like a uh, dramedy thing going on, which by the way, credit to Mel Brooks having two of the, the top 10 films for the year. Like we've not talked about blazing saddles or young Frankenstein, but yeah, anyway, so, but like there was this weird, like dramedy thing going on, which I think this kind of feels that, but in terms of like science fiction, I don't know if the, if the hunger was there for it. Right. So, um, this kind of like falls into that weird spot of like, it's kind of taking the piss out 2001. Um, but it's kind of its own thing because it's just like five guys trying to make a movie to length. Um, so I appreciate the scrappiness of it. I also appreciate, um, like it's light speed hyper jumps, which I like from what I was reading the trivia, um, was a precursor to star Wars. And it's interesting that um, Lucas reached out to Dan O'Bannon to come in and be like, "Hey, you should help us." So, how did you how did you feel about some of like those um, some of those uh, the like the hyperdrive effects? So, I actually thought that was really interesting, with the exception of the fact that anytime that you have a model like that and you film it in a side perspective or from the side, it immediately flattens the image it doesn't it, for whatever reason it doesn't have a lot of depth whenever you film it just straight on from the side um but again it's it's 1974 they're they're doing it well who knows you know when those shots were done he might have done them when it was still a student film in 71 or whatever year that was but uh i thought it was interesting that we saw the the streaks going by and I was like, oh, that's an interesting take. I don't think we've actually seen that in Star Wars. Like, it's always a uh, front view perspective where we're we're kind of looking at it as the audience and seeing it with whoever is going into hyperspace. Yeah. We don't often see it from that side perspective. And it may also be for that very reason that I just brought up. But I was like, oh, that's really interesting that he's doing it 
in a different way, but also very similar to the way that, uh, you know, Kubrick, uh, and I'm blanking on, uh, who did the special effects for 2001, but the way that they handled it. And then he sort of innovates on that. And then yes, Lucas comes along and uses it on star Wars. So again, a student film, but you're like, there's something going on here. There's, this isn't just your average student film. You know what I mean? Like these are, are guys who at the time you wouldn't know are going to shape a lot of popular culture for many years to come. That's, that's, I think that's, the thing that I am so interested in this movie, I think that it's because it's so idiosyncratic and it's, it's filmed uh, with, there's some rough spots with it in the sense of uh, I've supposedly have a high definition version of it. And I don't know if it's just (laughs) simply because of, you know, the 30, I think it was filmed in 35, you know, maybe it just doesn't, maybe the print that they had that they upscaled or whatever. I don't know. I, I don't know those technical terms well enough to, to speak to it, but boy, some of this movie feels like it was filmed with like Vaseline on the lens. Like it just, (laughs) well, I mean, okay. Part of that is when they get to, um, the food storage locker that's doubling as like people like the, like their sleeping quarters. Um, all the pornography on the back wall was blurred out on purpose. So that gets a little weird because <laughs> they're like, yeah, yeah, we can't show all that pornography. Like, yeah, probably not. Um, so there, it gets a little, it gets a little weird, but you're right. It's like this, like, like, um, there is a certain, um, feel to this film that isn't dissimilar to like night of the living dead. Is it like, you know, it's like, there's that like, like, um, rogue feel to it. Right. Like there's that, like, this is what we're going to do. This is the money that we have. We're going to do the best that we can, but we have something to say. Like, um, there's a lot here. I appreciate and you're right. There's a lot cooking like, you know, under, under the lid, if you look at it. Um, but it's like, you also kind of like got to take yourself back to that time and be like, you watch, if you watch this without any knowledge of what was coming after you'd be like, all right, well, I mean, that was, that was pleasant. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just that you see them like learning, you learning their, like learning what needs to work. Like, like seeing them earning their chops. You see like, there's the, 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 the thing here with uh, Dan O'Ban talking about how he, he was the one responsible for the majority of the alien portion of this, which was the beach ball of claws. And like how during screenings of this, people weren't laughing. And he's like, well, okay, great. If I can't make them laugh, I'll make them scream. And it's like, it just makes you look at this. You're like, like the what if of like, what if people really enjoyed the comedy and then Dan O'Bannon became like a comedic, like screenwriter, <laughs> you know, like where, where would our fandom be if he, well, I mean, you know. actually that's okay. So yeah. I mentioned Return of the living dead. Like that's one of the things that I love about that movie is, is that, and I didn't get it as a kid cause it scared the hell out of me. But like, as you know, an adult watching it, I was like, Oh my God, this movie's hilarious. It's a really funny movie. Yeah. Um, that said, I think he's got such a quirky sense of humor. I do wonder, like, if he, uh, he what alien would have been like if they'd have embraced that as opposed to going for the, the stark, very, uh, you know, st- uh, sterile sort of not sterile. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, slow burn, yeah. you know, style of that film. There's no hijinks happening in it uh, other than like scary hijinks. There's no like guy pulling a rubber chicken out. We'll put it that way. Which is funny here. Did you, I got some trivia for you here too. So with the Bannon, 
uh, before he went to actually before he went to USC, uh, he uh, was briefly at Washington University um, and then attended uh, Florissant Valley Junior College, where he wrote and directed a short science fiction satire titled "The Attack of the Fifty Foot Chicken." <laughs> So after that, according according to an interview he did in Playboy, he was actually going to school for psychology, and it was like, well, I need. He's like, I didn't want to go make movies, and then there was uh, another. Um, he found an article about the best film schools, so that's why he ended up at USC with Carpenter. So that tells you the sensibilities. And I appreciate that. Yeah, I I, I think uh, he was a. Uh... He was an eccentric uh, individual from the things that I've read in, in interviews I've seen with people talking about him. Um, and I, I feel like he may have actually just been perfect for the era that he was born in. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, who knows? I could be wrong on that. But he seems very much of, uh, you know, that time period. And uh, he's got an interesting not only just outlook, but also uh, – way that he writes things and all right sorry guys we had to cut there briefly because uh i had an unexpected visitor uh my dog bosco made an appearance and the dog uh, star keanu reeves band dog star sure. dog star was here with my dog bosco which was weird uh, i didn't even know he was part of the band uh but uh we we had to cut so uh there's an that uncomfortable thing that i'm just making more longer and longer, and longer. <laughs> Uh, we had know, a thought. The other thing we right. lost the thought, <laughs> and now we're going to do a different thought. So, welcome to Invasion the Podcast, full of uh, random tangents and secret burps. So, here we go. <laughs> well, the other thing that I wanted to say was is that you were talking earlier about, you know, sort of the state of at least science fiction in uh, the movies, or probably also television, um, because it's still thriving in other mediums, you know, or media, both books and. Uh, um, comic books, things like that are still being produced, but, uh, they're also cheaper to do. Uh, but I think that this period, and again, this is not me going like, Oh, it's all thanks to star Wars, but like, this is a period where, um, Paramount doesn't know that star Trek is like sort of, you know, got this diehard fan base. Like they, they're kind of ignorant for, of it for a very long time. So much so that at one point they're like, well, let's try and bring Star Trek back uh, and we'll do it as a TV show again and we'll have it launch our I think it, I think it was their first attempt at, at having their own network. They were going to do it before Fox. You're right. Yeah. And that, you know, just for whatever reason, never happened. And then they kept throwing it around like what they were going to do with it. Then Star Wars hits and they're like, oh, people want science fiction movies. We could do that. And I do think that that's when we sort of see that really become popular in the late seventies, early eighties. But at this time, I don't think, you know, you're going to the cinema and getting that option. You're getting, you know, hard boiled dramas. You're getting, um, you know, uh, crazy comedies like blazing saddles and, um, well, there's a lot of know, like, like what, what's the phrase avant-garde. You're getting a lot of challenging cinema because like the original, like uh, studio systems, like changing, right? So you're getting a lot yeah. of like very challenging movies. And so sci-fi changes too. So what you're talking about, like with Paramount, 
oh, what was it? Oh, it wasn't called Star Trek 2, but it was like the continuing voyages. There was a whole thing that was announced. And then mm-hmm. it got scrapped. And then it got I think it was at one movies. point even called like just phase two. Phase two. That's it. You're right. That's absolutely what was called phase two. Right. And yeah. So, so yeah, this is kind of where everything was. Right. So, um, this, this kind of exists in that weird spot, like before star Wars. Right. And like you were saying, it's like, but it also ha- kind of has, um, its own sensibilities. Like the satire here, like I like there was that big bit at the beginning where it's the uh, transmission where the guy's like, "Oh, it's so good to hear from you guys. Um, so sorry to hear that your leader died of like you know radiation, whatever, ever, ever." And he's like, "But your request for additional shielding, radiation shielding, has been denied." Like, <laughs> like that was very that was really that that was very funny. Where it's like, "Oh, so sorry to hear you lost somebody, but we can't we can't justify getting that out to you." And I feel like yeah. Yeah, he, he also points out that the entire Earth was in mourning for a, a solid week, but Congress can't really afford to give them what yes. they need. I, I appreciate that where it's like it's the whole thing of like, oh, we recognize the problem and we really appreciate like we we are so sorry for your loss, but we can't lift a finger to help you. Um, it's the equivalent of thoughts and prayers. Yeah, thoughts and prayers, right? But it's like that you could tell that there was like, I don't know if it was um, a band or, or a carpenter. There, there's that cynicism that runs through. Right. I think that's part of that there. Also their whole mission is to go out and just like detonate planets, like sight unseen. If they're potentially the threat of causing, um, the inability for humans to colonize, right? Like that, that's very dark. Um, I also, I like, I, we've been talking about how the computer systems have a personality, especially the bombs. Like, like the first bomb they drop, bomb nineteen, is so happy. Like I've never, <laughs> I've never heard a bomb happier in its life to fulfill its purpose. Right? They're like, it's like, see you, see you soon. It's like, all right, I guess I want to pull up in six minutes. It's like goodbye. It's like thanks for talking to me. Like, 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 where did you like? Aside from like, like Douglas Adams, like a Hitchhiker's Guide, which I'm, I, you know, I'm not sure when that was published. I should have looked it up. Like, where do you see that kind of like? weird like this there there is there is something there like you're talking about like nobody else was doing that at the time and it's it's really entertaining yeah and i feel like um and i know that both carpenter i believe o'bannon as well have talked about or had talked about um we should mention o'bannon passed in i think 2009 um and it's something that I'm noticing the more and more, the older that I get and I start digging into the things that influence the things that influence me, uh, you know, how many of these guys were into like EC comics, you know, that flavor of comedy and horror or comedy and sci-fi, oh, you know, um, by the way, sorry, Hitchhiker's guy was published in uh, 79 after this. Okay. But I'm sure he's writing it during that time. Well, of course, That's, but like, the, but the, don't, like, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I stopped you, but I'm like, that same type of like um, sarcasm and like like irony and like absurdity is running yeah. through this, and that like that was like Adam's like staple. But you're saying continue, please. please no, uh, um, I was just gonna say that a I still have never read Hitchhiker's Guide, and I'm ashamed of it. It's like it's literally like one of the the you know things that are keeping me out of the cool uh, geek clubs. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, you know that's that's they the took away thing. my nerd card. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Um, 
uh, I was talking to my co-host Terry on Strange Highways, the the Twilight Zone podcast, where I was talking about like covering this, and he was like, he mentioned um, there's that Netflix series, the movies that made us, which is like runs tangential to the toys that made us, and he was like, yeah, yeah they talk about this a little bit during the Halloween episode. And I was like, I told him, I was like, I didn't really dip into the movies that made us. Cause I'm like, I don't need a bunch of talking heads. Tell me about how much they love a thing. I was like, you know, same thing with like the toys of made us. I'm like, if I want to talk to a collector about 1000 Bestman Luke's, I'll talk to Steve. I don't need like a Netflix opinion about a collector. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> yeah. And this is, this is not a diss to the film crew. Uh, Cause I've watched. Well, I watched both seasons of The Toys That Made Us, and I wish they would have done a third season, but I don't think that's happening at this point. Um, uh, Toys That Made Us is much better uh, at having actual in- people involved than the movies that made us. Hey, that's There's fair. Less- I watched the like the 15 minutes of that Halloween episode, which I'm sure we'll talk about in two months. Yeah. Um, that it's like, oh, this is too big, bonk, boink, noise, 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 joke, joke, joke. Like, it's like you, I'm not wrong. You know? No, you're like, not wrong. It's like, uh, yeah. you know, I, I do, I do wonder, you know, if something like this, in, in, in like, is this something that's even, I don't know. When you start talking about John Carpenter, I feel like whenever I see retrospects, uh, retrospectus or what's the word I'm looking for here? Retrospectives about him, mm-hmm. or they're talking about something he's involved with and they go back. They always seem to start with assault on precinct 13. I never really hear people talk about dark star. And that's why I think it's was also part of a, a blank slate for me where I'm like, I hear nobody. I, I never really hear anybody talk about this. And I, I it, it and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's people who can go like, oh, I can point to this documentary and, you know, this special feature on They Live that you own, Steve, that you clearly have forgotten. But, like, I just always think of Assault on Precinct 13 as his first film. So it's it's just amazing to me how much this movie isn't even mentioned. So I feel like if you're doing, like, a movies that made us, something like this doesn't even get you know, yeah. uh, uh, shouldn't even get talked about, which uh, I'm surprised that they did. Well, I mean, considering, so I, I did try to, to root around to find out like a, a book about like carpenters, like, you know, like filmography. All you found were books about carpentry. Yes, true. They were all written uh, by uh, Ron Swanson. No. Um, so no, um, like I, I just, I was trying to find like a resource because I know when we did our year of Canon, I found that that wonderful book that was written mid Canon that was all about like their money isn't adding up. And this is why <laughs> like, it was a wonderful, a wonderful look at like that. This guy knew something was about to go wrong with them. I was trying to find like a book that was more like comprehensive about Carpenter and anybody listening. Um, like also, uh, here, here's the part of the show that we're going to shout out Al Goro, who has covered all of Carpenter's works, and he is much more well versed and well reasoned and, and and well thought out with all his coverage of his of, of everything. So everybody go check out Talk with That Rhythm. He's covered everything Carpenter. All we can possibly do is like just gnaw on um, the edges of the Batman pizza crusts at this point, um, you know, and provide something. If there's a book out there that I'm missing, like, please let me know. Cause I want to dig in. Cause I want to provide like additional information here. Um, so, um, yeah, this is one that I've known about. 
I've not gotten to, and I'm glad that we did. Um, and it just like, because it's, it's, it's real, real easy to use, uh, the lens of history to be like, Oh, that isn't so great because it's my first time watching it as opposed to uh, place and time student film and knowing that there was an expectation to get this to to like a uh, feature length. So I get that. Um, but there's, 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 there's um, gold in the hills of like, um, um, you know, like there's, there's this absurdity of when they go to like the captain, right. The one that had supposedly died and he's like, like deep frozen. And he's like, you know, just a husk of a man and Doolittle's trying to talk to him about like how to solve like bomb, the bomb 20 problem. Like that's all really interesting. And like the visuals are cool. Um, I will say the thing that made me laugh the most earnestly uh, is after everything goes haywire and there's the bit where Doolittle sees like the frozen icicle of his captain float by and he's like, oh, he survived. He's always lucky. That's my favorite joke of the entire movie. Because like, <laughs> it's said so like, he's always lucky. It's like, no, no, he is not. <laughs> like he is just, he is, he is a block of ice floating through space and who knows what's going to happen to him next. That's my favorite joke. Cause it's like, so like, he's always lucky. <laughs> like, <laughs> so like, I know what they're trying to go for and I can appreciate it. And I'm not saying everything landed on me, but like when it did, it was entertaining. Also, there was the brief bit where uh, pinback was doing his odd, like his audio diary and, yeah. his, and his diary was an eight track. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like, um, and some of like, well, the he whole... picks up a phone at one time and yeah. it's, it's like, <laughs> I obviously phones, you know, look the same way for a very long time, but it's clearly a phone from 1974. Yeah. It's not something they like tried to make futuristic or no. change. No, but his, his diary was like, it had his name, whatever. And he like, and to find out that his name's not actually pinned back, but because he fits the outfit is funny. And like the way they would do all that, that was entertaining. Um, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of humor here I can really latch onto that I can appreciate. Also, there's the brief bit whenever um, Pinback is trying to battle the beach ball alien with the broom, and then yeah. it gets the broom and beats him back. It's really entertaining. I like that a great deal too. Um, like the, there's things in here that I can really, really get behind. It's just, that, but you can see like, like everybody has to start somewhere, right? Everybody has to have like their foundation to move forward. And it would be unfair for you and I, and if people want to check this out, it, this movie's readily available to be like, Oh, that wasn't that great. It's like, yeah. Versus what? Meaning like wh how great was your first attempt at anything? You know what I mean? Like, you know, like your first short film, comic book child. I don't know. You guys probably all did better with your second one. Like it's just, you know, that's my hot take. Like, you know, you all like the second kid better than the first. I don't know what that means, but I agree with it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, as we're wrapping up the conversation here, I think it's a it's definitely a movie that I'm glad that I a just watched for the show. But also uh, I was going to say B, but I think I started with one instead of a uh, two. I enjoy the fact that, you know, I own this now and I'm definitely going to revisit it. Actually, I probably when I say that, I uh, probably won't revisit it on the digital format that I have because uh, there is a, a DVD version of it. Uh, I believe it has both the 
uh, you know, theatrical cut, which is what we watch, but also the student film version of it, which I'm like, oh, I kind of want to see what the cut down version of this is. I want to see what this is before, uh, you know, the producer comes in and says, hey, you know, we need to change things. Uh, We need to lengthen the movie. So I'd like to see that. And I'd like to also just see like, because it looks like there's some pretty cool uh, bonus features on uh, at least the DVD edition of it that I'm like, oh, you know, this is something I'd, I'd like to dig into. So not only is it a movie that I already own, but it's probably a movie that I'm going to buy again in another format. So uh, that's cool. I think that says enough about this movie as is. You know, it's it's not a movie that's going to blow your guys' minds. We'll put it that way. But the people who work behind it and the the... the the kernels of greatness of what's going to become of these people is there. Yeah. Um, And that that should be mind blowing. Yeah. That's my thing is. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So we mentioned about how Dan O'Bannon like used the beach ball with like, by the way, I like the brief, like, like the beginning. I didn't think this was going to be like, like half the movie where the computer was like, it's time to feed the alien. He's like, son of a bitch. He just goes in to feed the alien. (laughs) Like, I thought that was, I thought that was funny. Like, I thought that was great. I think Um, it even reminds him. It's like you said, it'd be fun to bring along or something along those lines. (laughs) Yeah. It was just like, he was like, oh, I guess we kept this thing around or whatever. I thought that was great. (laughs) Um, Looking at the trivia, I don't know how accurate this is but I, I appreciate it there was a band called pinback that adopted its name from that character which pinback does some cool shit like check them out also danny boyle uh named one of the main characters in his film sunshine pinbacker which i don't think you've seen sunshine i adore that film it's also about a crew going out on all like an almost impossible mission like there are these parallels right like it, that, that movie's not played for laughs I love sunshine and for like, and for Daniel Boyle to like appreciate this. I thought that was great. And also finding out that, uh, Hideo Kojima, which you and I talked about on our, um, our episode about uh, death stranding. Uh, he revealed that the, the, there was an iDroid that he used as a, as a, um, a device and, um, his uh, metal gear solid series was um like inspired by the female computer voice in this film that shows that this this that this movie has like fans right that have inspired other things and have made cool shit after which is one of those things that's like like um ultimately like if i like i meant to rate this on letterboxd um i'm gonna put this at like two and a half stars like meaning like it's it's right down the middle like there's stuff i like there's stuff i didn't like but I also am going to understand that it's like, it's very limited in its scope, like two and a half stars. It's not a detriment. It's just, it is what it is like for me, but to know like how much more came out of this is very fascinating. And that's what I really wanted to dig into this with you. And I'm glad that we got to it because like this film has inspired like so much more that you have to give it like credit where it's due even though like it's one of these things where like um, the sum of its parts isn't like it's, it's not greater than the sum of its parts, but might like as a learning experience, like my God, what came out of this is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wanted to mention this real quick too. Uh, you were mentioning books about Carpenter and uh, I wanted to mention it's not, it's not a book that's going to give you a lot of 
you know, backstory on both Carpenter or the films he's making. But there is a, a book on Carpenter that I have, and I'm going to tell a brief story about it after I say this. Uh, that's just wonderful, and I would highly recommend buying if you're a fan of Carpenter's. It's called On Set with John Carpenter, um, and it's uh, this uh, um, photographer Kim Gottlieb Walker uh, was hired by Deb Hill, Deborah Hill on uh, Halloween to be the onset photographer and she became sort of part of the Carpenter family. So she was there to take photos uh, for Halloween uh, and this is behind the scenes photos. So it's like really cool stuff. Uh, so it's like Halloween fog, the fog escape from New York, Halloween two and Christine. Um, so it's, it's a wonderful book. I would highly recommend it. Um, but the first time that, uh, or no, I'm sorry. The second time my, my wife and I went to California, uh, we went to Stan Lee's Comic-Con. And that was my first taste of a really big Comic-Con. And I was like, oh, I don't like this as much as I thought I would. But prior to going, I had bought this book. And uh, I was real excited. Literally like a week or two before uh, going, I bought the book. And it had just come out. Well, there was a showing uh, of the photographs in Burbank, and we went and saw that. And then we were at Stan Lee's Comic-Con, and we're walking, and I'm like, that's PJ Souls over there. For those of you who don't know who PJ Souls is, um, she's going to be coming up in Halloween. She's uh, the character of Linda in that. She's also in, like, Stripes. Uh, she was married to – that's it's shitty for me to be like, she's in Stripes, and she was married to Dennis Quaid at one point. Both <laughs> things are true. Uh, rock and roll but, high school. Like, come on. Rock, rock and roll high school. school. Carrie, I believe as well. Um, PJ souls is sitting at a table and I'm walking by and I'm like, well, that's PJ souls. I'm like, I kind of want to meet her. But then I have this thing where I don't know what it is. Like I have a point where I suddenly become immediately shy when I, so I realize there's somebody that I want to talk to that I haven't planned to talk to. Like I, I was, I'm, I, I was freaking out and Kathy's like, why don't you just go talk to PJ souls? And I'm like, oh, she's with the, the, the photographer of the book. And she's like, great, why don't you just go buy a copy and have them both sign it? And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I just bought a copy. She's like, you're going to get a book signed by the author and PJ Souls. Why not go and do that? And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. So uh, <laughs> I got to meet the photographer uh, and PJ Souls. They're obviously both sweethearts when I was talking to them, just really, like, loving the fans and, and so cool to talk to. But I would just mention that if you are a fan of Carpenter and uh, you want to look a little deeper, at least on some of the things that were going on behind the scenes, I would highly recommend the book. It's not, it's not a lot of text, but it's a lot of beautiful photographs of uh, moments that happen behind the scenes of movies that you love. All right. Fair enough. So, yeah, it, it, like that, and if people have other Carpenter books for me to check out, so we can, um, you know, like, like, um, the more information brought to us, the better, right? Because, um, you know, I just, I feel like, the, I feel like we know Carpenter, but we don't, and that, I think that's the goal of this year, right? Is to, to dig in, and but also I don't want it to ignore. Uh, the collaborative effort, because I think that's kind of a bullshit thing to be like, this guy did this. It's like, yeah, like the same thing with Lucas. It's like, yeah, he didn't do that in a vacuum. Like, and I know we talked about Dan O'Bannon for a bit tonight, rightfully so. Um, I want to understand like the collaborative effort with Carpenter as a writer and director for a lot of things. And also who you brought along, because I think it's important as well. 
Well, yeah, I, I think that we definitely should. Uh, we're going to be talking about Deborah Hill a lot. Absolutely, I think that she's a yes. name who needs to be talked about. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, we're a couple episodes away from Halloween. Maybe when we do talk about that, I think that's their first collaboration. But I could be proved wrong and we'll find out uh, shortly. But uh, I think we're going to be talking a lot about her as well and other people that he's worked with, because I think that, you know, even though it says a film by John Carpenter, it's by John Carpenter and a lot of people who worked hard to make his visions come to life. Yeah, it's kind of like Garfield and Friends, but it's John, it's John Carpenter and Friends. I don't know what that means. But um, did you notice the, um, the the knife the knife trick, whatever it was, that you saw in this film? Uh, where uh, Boiler? Yeah, I've yeah. never seen that in another movie. It's interesting. <laughs> uh, no, that was yeah. immediately one of the things that I thought of. I was like, oh my god, like was that pulled from here? Because I don't know that being in another movie before Aliens. So seeing it here, I was like, oh. Yeah, I saw uh, that. And then he immediately stabs his hand. I'm like, well, that's not yeah. what Bishop would have done. <laughs> you know, like, that's that's real life, man. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because if you leave that to me, I might, my uh, fingers are all cut off. <laughs> it's going to be so yeah. bad. But yeah, they're, they're like, as I saw that, I'm like, oh shit. Like, like, so you know that like, I, like, I know Cameron did aliens, but you know, you can't, you can't tell me that, that dark star didn't invade, um, aliens, right. Because of that. But anyway, so no, I'm, I'm glad I'm super glad that, um, that we uh, got into this, that we're getting into the year of carpenter. Um, we didn't even get into his soundtrack, which is very much Moog synthy. Um, rough edges at all it will get better as we go along um again but him but i i appreciate his hands on like i'm gonna do all this like i just there's something about that diy approach that like it will just it will always speak to me that i will appreciate because it's like you're not only invested in like the the shooting which we talked about like there's some really interesting shots in this there's some interesting camera placements for being a very limited budget um like, and also like there's that, um, weird cynicism, not weird. There is an appropriate cynicism that's, that's shining through. Um, yeah, I just, there, there is, um, I mean, with the idea of a uh, Doolittle grabbing some debris and surfing his way to oblivion, that is like, there's a lot of, uh, carpenters, like, um, you know, thesis statement there, right? It has to be like, like shit's gone sideways. I'm going to ride this out. Like I'm going to go on my terms. I think that's going to permeate a lot. What we're talking about going forward. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to start another conversation at the end of the show. So I'll just say that I agree. Um, and I think that we're <laughs> definitely going to be fair enough going it's, down those roads. It's Steve, we're only an hour and a half in versus the four hours that we normally do. And no, no. So anyway, no, I think I'm glad that we did this. Like I'm, I'm super, super, super excited for what we're doing, like for the Carpenter stuff, right? This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm glad that we're focused, zeroing in on a director and creator, which we've never done on the show. Like, I mean, in terms of like, yeah, we've shown spotlights on things we've done, but our deep dives have always been kind of like, um, like animation sequels, canon. Like we've never actually focused on an individual. This is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait for this year. Yeah, I, I, as a Carpenter fan, uh, it's only right that I see his entire filmography. And that includes that I am going to watch the movies that I haven't seen that are not going to be, because we're only doing a year of, so we're not going to be able to fill it, fit in his entire filmography. 
But I think I'm going to I'm going to go from A to Z, I think. And maybe maybe if it's a blog post or maybe it's a, a year of end discussion, uh, you know, just of Carpenter overall. But, yeah, I, I intend to take in everything. Absolutely. If you'd like to write some blog posts, I you know, I have I have a blog for you. <laughs> I mean, the last blog post is Grizzly 2. It's been a year old. So if you'd like to add more uh, Carpenter content, I'd be all about that. So. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for our discussion about Dark Star. Is it perfect? No, it's a student film. So why would you expect it to be perfect? There is a lot of good here. And also just knowing just knowing what came out of this is just, it's amazing. And also, I also feel like maybe you and I should watch uh, THX, like, you know, 11138. <laughs> you know, like at some yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> we actually should. I, I desperately, or desperately, I definitely should see that movie. I shouldn't. For as big of a of Star Wars fan as I am, I should definitely experience that as well. Yeah. So that's going to do it for our discussion about uh, Dark Star. You guys can find it. It's, it's easily available out there. Watch it. Uh, share your thoughts and feelings on our Facebook page. It's Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, email us directly at invadingpodcast uh, at gmail.com. It would be greatly appreciated. Wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us. We'd really, 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 really appreciate it. And Steve, how can people find you and maybe buy things eventually? <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, you can find me on the SiretSlasher.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Siren Slasher. Uh, we do have an Etsy store that is currently on vacation. It's a really long vacation, but I promise it's not a permanent one. Uh, but uh, it's the art of the slash. Uh, if you're listening to this in the future and we are back open, please go and, and buy something off of it. If not, uh, just shoot me an email, uh, or find me on Facebook. Uh, and I'll be happy to, uh, uh, sell you something, uh, under the table, you know, like a government deal under the table, just slide it. We'll, we'll go to a restaurant. Front will meet. I'll put it in a paper bag. Just to slide, slide, to slide it into Steve's DMs. Yeah. Um, I also want to just point out that it, of the movies that I, the movies that made us that episode of Watch Halloween when they did like the VHS cassette, the label that said horror was not green. So I'm like, I question everything you're going to tell me. <laughs> I do believe there were other colors, but maybe I, you know, but it's all bullshit if you're going to do that, right? So. Only um, 80s kids remember. The only 80s kids remember. So that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, um, you know, if you thought this was a lighthearted discussion, like hold on to your asses. We're about to get in some dark shit. Um, we're getting into, um, we're going to talk about the the graphic novel Mouse. Um, it is um, it is by Art. Art Spiegelman. Art Spiegelman. Um, it, yeah. We're getting into the first part of it. Uh, because it is a hard thing to get a hold of unless you buy the physical copy. We're getting into the first part of the part one, which is a survivor's tale. My father bleeds history because there are some just goddamn dumbasses out there that are banning this book. Um, and I'm drunk and I do not care. Um, it's a book that's talking about the Holocaust and Hitler. Yeah. Ban it. Yeah, you know, sure. Sure. Ignore history itself. But because Steve is also a comic book writer and artist and ink and, and inker, um, colorist and like writerist and comic bookist, I'm going to put ist on everything. Um, you you've read this previously, have not. It's you've it's been years. Like if this is going to be a banned book, let's get into why. And by why I mean it's the it's the goddamn like Holocaust with like cats and mice. 
it's going to be a dark ride, but I think it's worthy of it because this, this needs to be have, it needs to have a light shine shown on it because you know, this shit being banned because <laughs> like just that, that's my, um, that's my explanation. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, it's, it's just people, people don't want to engage with history and reality. And we yeah. will, and we will because we need to, because pop culture like mouse exists because it's, it's a graphic novel. Right. And it's a reminder of shit that's happened. And it's an expression of which, um, I don't think it's going to run that dissimilar to when we talked about, uh, Persopolis, uh, in our year of animation. So, um, I need to dig into this. It's going to be an interesting discussion. It's not going to be a fun discussion, but this is our, um, after school special, uh, episode of invasion coming up next. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Like join us on that. And I hope you'll engage and you know, it's going it, to, uh, it's going to be depressing, but it's going it, it, to, it needs to happen. <laughs> that, is that our new tagline? Well, okay. As, as we end the show, I'll just say, I mean, maybe it should be, uh, it's going to be depressing. It's our new tagline, but, um, <laughs> you know, I will say this about mouse. Uh, I, I first encountered it back in college. Uh, so over 20 years ago, unfortunately, uh, at this point in my life, but, uh, it's one of the things that I would point to whenever somebody would push me on comic books. Uh, I'd be like, go check out mouse. And then you tell me that comics are, you know, a powerful medium like film or television or, you know, prose. Like you, if you can walk away from mouse and be like, yeah, I don't know. It's not that good. Like I, I, I yeah. literally, you know, because we pop culture in general, you know, people always go to things like Watchmen and dark Knight, Um, and, and they're great. Don't get me wrong. But like, there are things like mouse that are, just compelling pieces of work done in the graphic novel format or comic book format that not only should be read by everyone, but also are just really well done pieces of work. Like it's, it's an important story, but it's also uh, something that I think uh, explores the potential of what you can do with uh, not only the media of comic books, but also uh, the interpretation of the way that you present that, uh, that story to people. So, um, we'll get more into that next week. Uh, so it won't all be dark. It's a dark subject matter, but, um, having read Spiegelman's mouse in the past, I can tell you from experience, it's a very good read. So there'll be lots of, uh, of high points to talk about too. Um, when we're talking about the shitty people who are trying to ban it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's going to do it for us this week. Have a good week. Have a safe week. And also, like, don't feed alien coconuts because they're just going to mess you up and throw you in an elevator shaft. I think that's appropriate. I can't disagree. Disagree. <laughs>